And she says, next time someone calls you out of your name, you don't even have to answer because it's not your name. <laughs> so, brother, I was free. I was free, you know, from, from then on, from that right there. I was free. Welcome back to Stories from the Heartland, a podcast that shares the stories of older folks from the often mythologized middle of the country to challenge misconceptions and expand understanding of the Midwestern past. I'm your host, Jevin, and in this episode, I'll be sharing some of my interview with Russell Jones, a local resident of Muncie, Indiana, in which we talked about what it was like for him to grow up and live in the Midwest as an African-American man. To begin, I want to explain how I know Russell. My parents own a house here in Muncie, where Ball State University is located, and rent it out to my sister, my friends, and me while school is in session. At the beginning of my senior year in college, the fall 2020 semester, my parents decided to have some landscaping work done on the property, and they hired Russell. As the, quote, house manager responsible for looking after the property when my parents can't, which is often, I started to build a relationship with Russell, who quickly became a familiar face around the house. Russell removed a large wooden fence, repaired a pergola, cut out overgrown bushes, and installed a new dishwasher into my house. And I was around for a lot of it, talking to him. It was apparent from the start that Russell was a spiritual lighthouse, a lake of wisdom. And that is the reason why I decided to interview him about his past experiences in the Midwest. When we were able to sit down and talk, I learned first about the important role played by women during Russell's adolescence in the Midwest and how the influence of his mom, aunt, and great-grandma would help him to face life's challenges later on. My father wasn't in my life, and uh, these ladies were brilliant, dude. I mean, they were strategically strategized, wise women. She put me in an apartment with my sisters upstairs while she lived in uh, a younger kid, son of hers, my cousin, downstairs. So that was basically my supervision. We owned a a seafood restaurant, you know. That's where I learned. I was a chef back there. I learned how to cook. We built the building and everything, man. Beyond providing a home for Russell and his siblings and helping him find a job, these women gave Russell the tools to understand who he was and who he was not. When confronted with blatant racism, starting from when Russell was in high school in Muncie, Indiana, in 1978. One day I was... Uh, at high school, Muncie Central High. I was a pretty good athlete, Javon, pretty good. Um, wrestling, track, and football. And um, I had a buddy that was in wrestling. Him and I were real, real close, named John Ritchie, white kid. And no problem, never. My coach, Conway, he was in, he was our health teacher. Me and Ritchie in the same class. And he, man, he just on me, on me, on me about going out for wrestling. I did not want to do it because Richie and I is in the same weight class. I could tell it would be problems. Okay, so Richie was, you know, high in ranking and wrestling and things like this. And so Conway practically drugged me to the practice. So I'm there and this and that. And two practices go by, three go by. Maybe on the fourth practice, he goes, okay, Russell, you and Richie, 
squirrel. So we're messing around here and this and that. And I figure out how much stronger I am than Richie. But he's my buddy, and I'm trying not to. I'm trying to figure out how do I not. It, I mean, how do you how do you wrestle your friend and, and beat him and with no problem and just not dog him? <laughs> I mean, you know. So and Conway didn't care. The coach, he's like, just come on, let's get him. Uh, he go wrestle. So I pinned Richie. And Richie got fired up, jumped up off that mat, and he says, you nigger. And Conway says, hey, 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 get back here. I says, Coach Conway, it's fine. I went home bothered. And I approached in the same household my auntie, my mom, and my great-granny. So all this wisdom. And I told her and shared with her what happened. And she says, go get that dictionary right now. And and, and and this was the this was the routine a lot for me to understand the bottom line, to understand what was up. Not not think I did or or, or it'll be all right. I, I needed to know and understand what I just encountered. And and you know. So I went and got this dictionary. She says, look that word up. So I'm looking that word up, and I find that word, and lo and behold, it did not say Russell. It did not say a black man. It did not say a white man. And what it said, it could apply to anything that you wanted to attach it to or person or whatever. And basically, that's what it did. So I had a big grin on my face, and then she looked at me, and she says, listen here, young man. She says, what is your name? And I said, Russell. And she says, no, it's not. It's Billy. And I start grinning because I'm thinking, where is she going with this? And she says, next time someone calls you out of your name, you don't even have to answer because it's not your name. <laughs> so, brother, <laughs> I was free. I was free, you know, from, from then on, from that, right there, I was free. Though equipped with brilliant guidance from the women in his life, this, sadly yet unsurprisingly, was not the last time Russell Jones would encounter racist behavior in Indiana. Starting with an instance while he was an employee at Ball State, he shared a few of these encounters with me. As you'll notice, his spiritual philosophy, along with the guidance of his female caregivers, allowed Russell to deal with racism, with forgiveness and grace. I remember a year at Ball State, and uh, I decided to transfer from custodial to the grounds department because I was factuated with outdoors. And I seen them guys on the lawnmowers, and they're out there and wide open, and I'm loving it. And so I applied, and I got the job people that really concerned for me and genuinely concerned were concerned for me because there were no African-Americans on the department. I never had a problem with that. Never had a problem with that. <clears throat> I see people, 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 and that's how I was raised. And, you know, I understood what they were saying. I didn't get into a debate with that. I just said, well, you know, I, I, I'm just wanting to share and I'm going to see what happens. And, 
you know, I believe I'll be all right. And lo and behold, I was all right. The first day on the job, a mechanic, older gentleman by the name of Joe. I was at the time clock. I'll never forget. He approached me. He says, uh, just nodded his head. And I said, how are you doing, sir? And took, put my hand out to shake him, shake his hand. And uh, he denied me. And he looked at me and he says, uh, your kind don't belong here in a real low voice. Yeah. And I thought, oh, man, Lord. You know, I always remember the verse of Scripture that says, love conquereth all. So it was on my heart to walk down those stairs in the garage and talk to Joe personally, one-on-one. Step down the stairs comfortably, and I approached Joe uh, slowly, and I said, Mr. Joe, can I ask why you said that? And he wouldn't answer me. And I says, well, sir, all I have to say, I'm here to do my part, and I'm a loving guy. I love you no matter what, and I hope that that changes things between us. And I left. The next day, Joe was like my dad. Talked to me. Yes, he talked to me. He cried. No one asked me to forgive him, and I did, no problem. Because one thing I understand, we all are, all of us have infirmities, and we're all under construction, man, as far as trying to get it right. So for me, for us, Javon, to deny or 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 just stump somebody in the dirt is saying I got all my stuff together. And for RJ, that's definitely not true. <laughs> I can't speak for nobody else. <laughs> so forgiving him was no problem. Facing these challenging realities with love and forgiveness might not be how other Black people combat racial inequality and oppression. But for Russell, this philosophy seemed to work. Unfortunately, it was not long into working for Ball State's landscaping crew that Russell faced more discrimination, this time with his supervisor. He was from Jamestown, Tennessee. And when an African-American man uh, hears about Jamestown, Tennessee, it's about a lynching hanging or they don't uh, allow us to, you know, drive through without killed. You know, things like that. So I get on the job, and this guy is in charge of the job. I get out of the van, and uh, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where I'm needed, what I'm, where I'm more valuable, where I want. So, I'm, man, I'm fired up, dude. I'm ready to learn this thing, you know. So I grab a rake. Suddenly, Russell's supervisor calls him over. Mr. Wright says, hey, boy. I turn, me, I point at myself. He says, yeah, you, boy. Get over here. Let me tell you right now. You don't grab nothing until I tell you to grab it. So I'm saying, oh, Lord. And and, and then the the young white kids, the students mostly, are looking like, what? So I'm going, okay, Lord, here we go again, another test. So I hear the scripture again, the verse of scripture, love conquers all. So I put the pride down, subdue the flesh because of the things you want to do or you want to say, you know, respond. 
And I just say, okay, uh, yes, sir. So he says, I want you over here, and I get over there. And so I can tell I'm being picked with. He wants over there five minutes later, I want you over there. So, okay, I'm jumping around. So he throws his rake down and gets in the van, the company van, and drives off. So the kids are now talking to me like, man, what's his problem, man? He's coming at you like, you know, racial and this and that. And I said, yeah, I know, man. It's all good, though. So lo and behold, it wasn't even five minutes this man comes back in the van, blows the horn, points at me. You come with me. I'm saying, Lord, here I am again in this situation. You're about to change this thing. So we drive down, and I'm looking at him. I get big tears in my eyes. When he turns to look at me, he's got big tears in his eyes. Brother, it's a true story. He pulls over to the side, the curb, on McKinley. He says, I can't read and write. I start bawling like a baby because I know what this is all about. I lean over from the passenger seat to the driver's seat, give him a big hug, kiss the man on the forehead, and I says, whatever I can do, and look him right in the eye. Russell went on to forge a deep friendship with this man, who had initially rejected him based on his race. Not surprisingly, given his friendliness and loving approach, Russell had many friends in the local community, including within the police force and judiciary. So he says that he didn't have much trouble with the criminal justice system over the years. But he does recall one sad episode. Early in my years in my lawn business, I'm coming from the job and I just dropped my middle son off home. And I got this uh, big enclosed 16 foot trailer behind with uh, these uh, nice big uh, new mowers in it, commercial mowers. Uh, so basically I got this trailer and this equipment in here. We're pulling about 50 grand back here. I get up around the area in Muncie called West Jackson, right there at the wire mill where they went out, the wire mill went out, it's a little trussle going across. And I hear the sign, sounds of a siren behind me and I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna go past and after somebody else, but it's me. So I look in the rear view, <clears throat> nope, the side mirror and I pull over and I go, huh, man, that bulb's blown out. So I'm thinking, you know, can be nothing major because, you know, I check this thing before I leave all the time. And so he comes around the uh, vehicle and uh, he goes, uh, license registration, sir. And I know a lot about law enforcement uh, correctly. And because I have friends and family that are in law enforcement, he does not have any type of this officer eye contact whatsoever, brother. So I'm getting, so I asked him another question, uh, hoping that he'll lift his head up and look at me and that didn't work. Uh, officer, what is it, a bulb or something back there? And he did not respond. So I get my license registration, give it to him. He goes back, didn't say anything. I'll be back, nothing. So I remember what my uh, family would say. If you're uncomfortable with an officer, you put down two things, 
Number one, a line. Number two, a line. Badge number and name of the officer. So I wrote these things down. I said, Lord, I hope I don't think I'll need these, but you know, I believe things will get better. We'll see. So he comes back and goes, There, here you go. No eye contact whatsoever. So I'm thinking, this ain't right. Yeah. I said, Sir, uh, was it a bulb or you never told me what's going on here? Well, it was a rig, uh, just like this here, stolen. So he never looks at me still. So I go, Sir, I'm kind of uncomfortable right now. I says, I got two questions for you. What's that? Still never looked at him. I says, uh, can I have your badge number and your uh, name? I mean, this man unleashed some cuss words on me, brother. You mf'er, you son of a, you black. And they, he had a, a canine in the back, and that dog was going wild because he was going wild. He reached in the window. I had my window down. Driver's side of my truck, grabbed my arm and tried to pull me. I says, hey, hey, I finally got him to look at me. I says, sir, and I with a stern voice, I says, you are out of protocol, sir. I know the law. I know the rules. I have friends that are in law enforcement, and I have family that is in law enforcement. This is out of order. Ask me to step out of my vehicle correctly. Get your hands off me. He stepped back. He says, could you get out of the vehicle there, Mr. Jones? So I step out of my vehicle. This man puts his hands on my shoulder, and he tries to headbutt me. You hear me? And I dodged it. I seen it coming. I mean, you know, I was like, what is he? I, and I'm laughing. I mean, because this guy is getting, like, ridiculously out of order. I mean, you know, I'm, I said, what are you trying to do here, officer? So I just stuck my hands behind my back, Javon, and I said, here, here, here we go. Just put the cuffs on, man. Let's, let's go. I said, I'm going to warn you, I've never been to jail in my life. I know everybody down at that jail. The first time somebody sees me in that jail, her name is going to be, and I'm not missing the woman's name, and I said, she's going to ask you, what did this guy do? You got the wrong guy. I said, you're in trouble. So he calls for backup. And this dog's going nuts. Ah, I'll throw you F in that with that F and K9. And I'm laughing. I'm going, you see that traffic out there, sir? I said, that's my pastor there. See how he's slowing down? He's wondering what the heck's going on. I says, my cousin's name is such and such in law enforcement. Oh, don't give a – he started getting all worried. So the backup guy comes. The first thing the backup guy does is says, hey, Russell, what's up? <laughs> I get in the door, sure enough, this lady sees me. She goes, oh, wait a minute now. And she calls his name, Officer So-and-So. You got the wrong, I ain't trying to be funny, but what did he do? And the other officer that knew me was just shaking his head like, man. And this guy was about to cry. He was like, everybody just, I says, fella, young man. He finally looked at me. I says, man, you, I said, you dropped the ball way back there when I was trying to get your attention. And I said, after I make this phone call, it's probably out of my hands, man. And I made the phone call to my uncle because he knows all the judges. In 
five minutes, Javon, that judge called out here and said, get him the, out of there. Thankfully, nothing serious happened during this brush with the police. The one wonders what kind of danger Russell would have been in if he hadn't had the connections he does with Muncie law enforcement. If you're baffled or unable to comprehend the level of kindness and patience that Russell demonstrates in his stories, your reaction wouldn't be too far from how I was feeling as I listened to Russell tell me them. And as if he were exactly aware that I was wondering about the benefits of his endless patience and forgiveness, as you might be now, he told me. So what did I learn? What did I learn? Here's what I learned. If I had said or did what I wanted to do or what I felt like doing, we wouldn't have accomplished thus far what we needed to accomplish, which really matters. And it's just not that type of situation to all types. I have learned when that comes in my life, I have enough spiritual sense, common sense, to separate my pride in, in the situation to see what comes out. The listener will notice that Russell's philosophy of love and acceptance pervades the entire conversation. Effortlessly at times, Russell would suddenly spout wisdom and truth, addressing not just me, but also all potential listeners of stories from the heartland. Don't run, man. Uh, if I had to say something in this interview that I hope would bless anyone listening to it and also you, man, when those tough times come, don't dodge them. Don't run. Because there's something in there and about going through that thing that you need in life. Yeah, I, I can remember my granny saying, still today, you know, in the prayer over the food and when she prayed, period. And, Lord, I thank you for the good times, and I also thank you for the bad times. Man, as a young man, I could not understand that. <laughs> Perhaps the most poignant moment in my interview with Russell occurred when I asked him a question that had been weighing on me throughout the interview. I asked him how, after he'd fought through the frustration and anger that comes with being treated terribly by white people because of the color of his skin, how it was possible that he was able to sit down with me, a young white man, and talk amicably without hate in his heart. His mind immediately went back to his former supervisor from Tennessee. Gotta bear with me. I was blessed to take so much away from that relationship. Everybody's got problems, man. I just look at it and say, you got a problem. If I can help you, I will. Racism, people that don't like people because of the color of their skin or the, the race of their creed or whatever. You got a problem. I mean, this man was trying his best with his best ability to be racist. And Javon, the God in me, outdid that, brother. So if we can take some of the licking and keep on ticking. We got a chance. Instead of just rising up with anger all of a sudden, is it easy? No, it's not easy. But I take some of my past experiences and go, hey, if the God in me conquered that, 
we can sure tackle this. So one by one, how am I not mad? Because I think you and I could lock arms and go at this thing together. But we have no chance of locking arms, Javon, if I'm just mad. No chance. No chance. I think I have some things to share that will open your eyes and free you in areas, free you up in areas, and you do also that will help me. This is what we're missing. It's worth repeating that we at Stories from the Heartland recognize that Russell's philosophy of love, forgiveness, and arm-locking may not be the approach that all Black people have taken in response to racism. But for Russell, it has helped him find freedom despite some of the challenges he has faced as a Black man in the Midwest. Later, on the very day of this interview that I conducted with Russell, he picked me up in his truck, and we went to the hardware store to get a new dishwasher for my house, which he later installed himself. During the car ride, Russell blasted mint condition. I couldn't help but see the symbolism in the moment. Here he was, cruising with the windows down, singing every word of a song from an R&B band from Minneapolis, another Midwestern city. A group of men from humble beginnings whose music professes to their growth through adversity. I looked over at Russell from the passenger seat and saw a fount of wisdom and peace, but I also saw a free soul. This episode of Stories from the Heartland was written and performed by Ball State students of the Midwestern Stories Project and produced by the university's digital core. Special thanks to Indiana Humanities, Ball State Provost's office, and our community partner, Minatrista, for supporting this project. The song we used in the last segment of this episode is Mint Condition's Live in the Luxury Brown, produced by Image Entertainment in 2005. I'm Jevin, and last but not least, I want to send a very heartfelt thank you to Russell Jones for sharing his story and message, and to all of you who are willing to accept it. <laughs>